Hey, Honeymooners, you can find ad-free episodes, Moshe's DJ sets, merch discounts, and so much more on our Patreon. Check it out at patreon.com slash endlesshoneymoon or click the link in the description of this episode. Hey, Honeymooners, you can find ad-free episodes, Moshe's DJ sets, merch discounts, and so much more on our Patreon. Check it out at patreon.com slash endlesshoneymoon or click the link in the description of this episode. Welcome to the Endless Honeymoon Podcast. <laughs> Is that your broadcaster voice? Yeah. That was very mellow. We, uh, I won. We have a Hanukkah I, rosemary bush. I wouldn't. See, okay. Well, one thing, we've gotten so much mail about this, we've decided that we'll de- we're, we're going to just dedicate the entire hour. No, to, we're not. No, we're not. We're not. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But, um, but, um, but um, no, here's the thing. It's a rosemary bush. So I don't consider it a loss. I consider that we brought cooking herbs into the house. Exactly. Just on moss. And this is the And the fact- child started like just shoving all her spare pine yeah. cones in it. The fact that there the fact that there are It definitely I mean, it's needs not, more ornaments. It certainly doesn't look Christmassy, except for this little culprit here. There is somebody <laughs> snuck a snowman. Which is you know what? Snowmans are new ne- <laughs> snowman are neutral. Snowman There's another snowman right there, but that's I- not a snowman, that's a popsicle stick. Snowman, um, Mr. Snowman will kill you, actually. That's Look, a, these are his snowballs. Those are googly. It, listen, I hope you're watching this on YouTube, because if not, a lot of this imagery is going to be wasted on you. We'll quickly get off the visual references just to say... I do like the dead leaves just kind of hanging on. I will say this. Your decorating style, Natasha, <laughs> along, this with is not our, done. along with our child's decorating style, allowed me to feel better about the, introdu- the introduction of this shrub into our home. Because it's so... Um, uh, what was the kind of art you said you liked in? Oh, Out- outsider <laughs> art. That it doesn't feel like it represents anything. Well, uh, it's not done. There's just some feathers and pine There's literally a dead right. leaf in it, which is a, unusual. Anyway, it's made of rosemary, and I feel good about that because I cook all the food in this family. I am the, I am the, sole, the sole chef. And, so you uh, could put some rosemary in the latkes. I might just do that. I might just do that. And, that, and a happy Hanukkah to you as well, Natasha. It's been a nice few days of Hanukkah. Moshe told me today, he's like, no, it's just been a rough two weeks. And I was like, wait, you said that to me two weeks ago. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm just like always in a bad mood. <laughs> that is funny. I was like, hey, you, you know, you've been, I, I get it, you've been stressed out the last couple of weeks. Like, <laughs> wait a minute. What's the, what's the timeline on this? Um, I think I'm getting like more sad because the iPhone update has like all these old pictures that they're barraging you with. You made such a good point about so that. So now all of a sudden, like I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm like missing things I forgot about. No, you said the other day we were talking about that iPhone update where all of a sudden it's popping uh, a la Facebook, actually. It's I'm not po- on Facebook. But that's a technique that they that oh. they uh, they started mm. with, you, you know, your memories of this person. And you'll get like a montage of friendship pictures from someone that you uh, stopped talking to four years ago because they were a coke <laughs> addict, you know? And it's like, remember when? And then you're like, yeah, fucking, I do. But you were saying they the, the iPhone started doing that. They started for some, and it's random too. It's just like all of a sudden, like here's four pictures of things that happened. And you, this was your point, not mine. You were like, they're barraging us with imagery of freedom of like what it was like before we all got into lockdown. In our most like isolating times of our lives. Yeah, it's just like, hey, remember remember when you hung out with friends? Remember when you had social gatherings? It's actually kind of sadistic in a weird way. But I don't know what the point of it is. But I do look through them all the time and get emotional. 
I mean, you wept last night because a restaurant <laughs> closed. I turned around. Because talked- someone sent me a picture of me eating at the Pacific Dining Car and I had my dog on my lap. And I remember, I, I, you know, this place was open 24 hours. It had it was white tablecloths. You could like hide your dog under the tablecloth and you could order like a really fancy meal. Like yeah. there's no place really like that in the world. No, it was one of a kind. We used to describe it as the, uh, a great place to catch an L.A. city councilman having an affair <laughs> on his wife. It was just the coolest restaurant ever. I mean, it was very expensive, but I, I, I enjoyed paying for it because I knew that's the only place that place could stay in business. Have we talked about the Pacific Dining Car on this podcast no. before? And then we, we, had a, we had a great meal there uh, one Valentine's Day. Do you remember that? That's our dog scratching his body. Do you remember? We had a great meal there. Yes. On Valentine's Day, we went in there, Natasha and I, uh, late at night, because I think, I don't know what we did, but whatever. It's, it was that kind of place where anytime you wanted a special occasion, it was, you could have it because it was open 24 hours. We went there the morning of, um, or like when we started doing IVF, and then when we had the baby, you mm-hmm. had it delivered to the hospital. The baby, I, had, I had the baby delivered to the <laughs> Pacific Dining Car. Yeah, it was a very special place. Old school. Tuxedos, but they were like threadbare, the tuxes, you know, and like very classy. It looked like an inside of a, of a train kind of car. But the food was also delicious. Like- it was really good, and, but it was just like, a, it was really, it was a trippy place and one and one valentine's we went in there and it was do you remember this it was you and me on mm-hmm. one table having valentine's day dinner late at night and then the next oh, yeah the next table over was a, a man uh i would assume a, he's a hip-hop producer for reasons i'll tell you later uh a his girlfriend his beautiful girlfriend and his like buddy just like his friend and you could feel the tension coming from their date because he had invited his buddy on their val- special Valentine's Day date. Now, anyway, I don't remember what it was. He kept talking about bringing hoes into the studio. <laughs> he kept saying to his to his friend while his girlfriend was like, you don't bring hoes into the studio. You keep your hoes outside. You bring a hoe into the studio. That wrecks the whole... Pro-. And then the other, line I, and that, uh, the other line I remember him saying was, uh, you haven't been to Drake's house? You never went to Drake's? He was, I guess, friends with Drake's. Drake. Yeah, it was a very fun place to people watch. It was never busy. There was always like three people in there. You could get like, you know, an amazingly done steak at like three in the morning. Now what? With like crusty French bread and like... You know, it was definitely the kind of place that when you walked into it, you that's were why like, you moved to a city for places like that. Yeah, and it was the kind of place that when you walked in, you definitely were like, "How is this in business?" Yeah, because there would be like four people there. It was two o'clock in the morning, and th- those kinds of businesses, the how are these still in business places? Those are the first wave of decimation. They're gone, and Pacific Dining Car sadly did shut down. And Natasha was bidding in a live auction on artwork from the Pacific Dining Car. I wanted to have a part of it in my home because it's been such a special restaurant to my life. Because every time mm-hmm. anything happened, like you know, because you could go there at any time, and LA is just this prison of like everything closing at nine p.m. even pre-pandemic, mm-hmm. every restaurant. So like as hard as real prison, honestly. No, I'm just saying, you know, and then. And I celebrated, you know, everything there from the birth of my child to when I got on a TV show to like, you know, our anniversary. It was a special place. But that said, I did turn around last night and Natasha was texting with someone and she looked up and there were tears in her eyes. And I was like, oh, my God, a parent died. Is Mayor Cutie dead? And she's like, I just 
the Pacific dining car. And but it, was, it is sad. It well, is it's sad. because for what it represents. Like whenever something's gone that there was nothing like, that's yeah. when I start to get sad. Well, you also, that's when I'll shed a tear. Do you also love old school, old things? I like old, old things. things. And yeah. I think that I have, I'm really becoming um, in tune with my obsession and desire for like old things, things that are quality, things that um, are just made better and mm-hmm. just maybe from like another time. Like, I don't want to be in this time period. (laughs) Well, I'm like our daughter. Whenever she sees a picture of something, she's like, can we just go there? Yeah. You want to go back. I don't want to go back into my past. I just like old things in the present. Maybe this is the character defect of the main character in midnight in Paris, which we just watched. It's a film, uh, by a lovely celebrated filmmaker named Woody Allen. Uh, a, I would say a humanitarian and one of the, one of the people that I think is, uh, I think got a Nobel Peace Prize or something. This just a, a, what I would say is a universally celebrated filmmaker, Woody Allen. But it's all about a character who wants to live in the past, and then every generation in the past he goes. It's actually a time travel film. He finds someone that wishes they lived in the generation before, and I think the message of that movie, which is a very Woody Allen message, is there is no happiness and there is only nostalgia. I'm not nostalgic. I want, I like to just be able to touch the, the old thing like sometimes if mm-hmm. I want to. I want to be able to like visit it, I guess. Yeah. You want to move to Paris? See, like, yeah, you're in a beautiful city like that where, yeah, I would, yeah, let's go. Tel Aviv? No, I'm not going to Tel Aviv. We did a Jewish event the other day on Zoom and uh, it went really well. And it was a first stand-up the two of us both did on Zoom since the pandemic started. And we both, I would say, crushed. It was really fun. Um, and uh, afterwards, it was like a VIP meet and greet with like just the be- the benefactors. And so it was just a bunch of like rich Jews. And they were like, Natasha. It was like question and answer. They were like, Natasha, have you ever been to Israel? And you were like, yeah. And they're like, what do you think? And I think you maybe didn't think about the political way to answer, you were just like, ugh, not for me. That's <laughs> very, what I said. Something like that. It was very funny. It was very honest, but it was very funny just because they didn't want that answer. Hey, in Zoom comedy, you can't read the room. That's so true. You got to read the Zoom. All right. Well, I'll try harder at that. <laughs> no, not at all. But I, now you got me all sad about my favorite restaurant. So let's just make a call, take a call and, and get you out of your funk. Get me out of my head. Stop thinking about. Those white tablecloths and oh, that seared salmon French with the maple with the maple bread. glaze, and just remember that, that salmon, the creamed spinach. Valet parking at four in the morning and the the, the Rocher or whatever that candy is called as you were exiting. <laughs> you could order a souffle when you sat down. Do a bump of coke off of a man fingering a prostitute in one of the corner booths. I should have like bid on like a banquet so we could have it. It would have been good, but you lost all the auctions you went for. I don't really know how to like be in an auction. Well, anyway, let's get Very out of your funk. Complicated. All right, let's and into this. someone else's funk. Okay, we're going to call Delilah in Toronto. Delilah in Toronto. And because of the UFC, I made a start really late. So Delilah, it is currently 1.30 in the morning for old Delilah. Is it really? Yeah, and I feel really guilty. But Maybe it was she'll a... be more um, vulnerable. Oh, that's right. Let's find out. Hi. 
Hi, how's it going? Hey there, Delilah. <laughs> Have you ever heard somebody do that before? Is that your first time? Yes. No. I, it no. happens a lot. I'm a professional comedian, <laughs> and that was a riff that I came up with on the spot, and I think you should just be in awe of what just happened. Delilah. I am appreciative. Yeah, right. You <laughs> well, are, you but like I appreciate a, that. You have a really professional mic on. Oh, yeah. Um, I coordinate Zoom meetings for a living. So, <laughs> How's this one going? Uh, Okay, all right, Delilah. <laughs> Wait, is is that contraption so you don't have to wear an earbud? No, that's for when yeah. you're giving a motivational speech and you come in and you want to be able to gesticulate, right? Yeah, well, um, more or less it keeps me hands-free and it allows me to like move around my office and do other stuff. Currently, I'm hiding in my closet, but like generally it's easier for me to um, do other things because like I do all the background stuff. It's not a hard job. It's just complicated. <laughs> well, that's a good size closet. Congrats. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you. you're doing great. Um, Delilah, how can we help? I know it's late where you are. We appreciate you staying up with us. Uh, let's get to the meat. So um, it's a weird problem. Uh, I live with my parents and my dad keeps using my work computer. Could you speak computer. way, way up, please? No, like, no, could you just way up, like scream it? Wait, why? Just because her dad's probably in the next room. Yeah, they're that, they're both sleeping, so I'm trying to like. No, not I I, I heard your voice sort of dip. No, tell us what's up. Sorry, that was an attempt at a joke. <laughs> my dad keeps using my work computers for porn. <laughs> okay. So it makes it really hard for like uh, when I'm doing stuff like when I'm typing in a web browser, I type www, and it immediately comes up as like adult friend finder and stuff like that and i'm like no god well no. i hate to break it to you but adult friend finder is not porn no 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 <laughs> but like the ads that come with i was the just porn, gonna say because adult know, friend yeah. finder is a straight up casual sex hookup yeah. site okay i have a great, oh yeah no i'm aware i have a great question what have you learned about him sexually through your computer like does he have any search word like what's the what's the news thing that you've learned in yeah. terms of search words what is he like um father daughter no, oh, thank God, no. Yeah, that Jesus. would have been a rough morning. <laughs> that would be terrible. I don't think I'd ever be able to... I'd, I'd have to move. Um, <laughs> Listen, we think you should move anyway. No, yeah. go ahead. What 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 are his search terms? They're, they're, they're graphic. And so my mom and I work for the same company, which makes it also complicated. Like if I go to our bosses and say, I need a new computer because this one's died of virus. Wait, 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 wait. She's going to know. Delilah, stop. I'm... I'm I, I want to preserve I you work coordinating Zoom with with your mother and you agree Well, she's one of the contractors with the company. And yeah. you agreed to be on an advice podcast talking about your father's porn predilection on Zoom. I feel like this is a terrible mistake for you. It's 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 okay. Uh okay, the great. work profile is a different profile and you know, no one I know listens to this. Well, Whoa, okay. my friends Whoa, do, Delilah, but Delilah. <laughs> Not my coworkers. It's not their speed, which is unfortunate, but what are you going to do? Okay, so what did you learn? She won't answer so far. Oh, you... Come on, just tell us one. A lot of busty ladies. Wow, that is graphic. You, you're telling me <laughs> your dad... Ew, your dad is the kind of sick pervert that likes women with large breasts? It's... it's he can't no, be well, helped. 
that it that's as graphic as I'm willing to get because I I really don't want to think about it. Okay. I don't want to have this yeah. information in my head. Okay, well here's the thing. Why why are you guys sharing a computer? This makes no sense. He just doesn't have his own and he just keeps using You need to save up and get him don't get him like a Mac. Get him like whatever whatever you can get for like three hundred dollars. Like what are those computers? This is great advice. What? An Asus. <laughs> yeah. I thought yeah. about that. That was one of my ideas was like, do I get him his own computer and like make a little note that yes, says like, you they're know, cheap. Porn. Wait, no, don't make the note for porn. You humiliate your poor old dad who all he's trying to do, all he's trying to do is get into his wanton and disgusting fetish of women with larger than average breasts. Um, if only there were some major calendar event coming up that could be used as a smoke screen for getting him a gift. If only there was some kind of big holiday or something coming up in fair, yeah. mere That's weeks. Fair. Um, I have an idea. Wait, so does your dad just come up to you and he's like, uh, so Delilah, do you mind if I take your computer into my bedroom for a few no, minutes? No, he doesn't or? even ask. Like the other day, like a couple weeks ago, I was locked out of my office and I had a meeting and I was just like, I can't, like I was late for the meeting because I was locked out of my office because he was using the computer and I was just like, Jesus Christ. So Dude, him using better. the computer is like he's jerking off, basically. Yeah, yeah, mm. exactly. Well, a lot, just so you know, Delilah and Natasha, a lot of men look at pornography and just observe it and we don't masturbate to it. Really? No, not really. Not ever at all. That's not true <laughs> whatsoever. I have no problem with him doing it, but like use a private browser, you know, well, he like... He doesn't know how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, do I explain it to him? Like, what do I do? Like, I'm all for him doing his thing. Like, what do I do? Take Natasha's advice and add one more bit. Get him a computer for Christmas. Asics. An Asus. Asics. Asics or tennis shoes. <laughs> Get him a pair of Asics, uh, a gallon of lube, and an Asus computer. Uh, and give it to him. Don't say anything about the porn. Just give it to him as a Christmas gift. And that very day that you get him the Asus, password protect your computer so that he can no longer use it. It's very simple. They are password protected, but he has somehow figured out the password for like two out of three. So Change your password to something he won't get. Like, uh, oh, small titty women. He'll never, never, never type that in. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, you know what? It's 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 hard enough living with your family when you have your own career and like, you know, you're obviously a mature person ready to start your life and this is a crazy time. So don't make it worse. Like get him a computer, get his like keep your computer to yourself and you can say, "You know what, dad? I'm going to I'm going to use my computer for myself." I think you don't even need to say it. I think right. you just get him a computer and then you can spend the the rest of time on your own computer on on you can spend the rest of your time on your own computer on Talkspace working out the horrifying things that you've learned about your father and what he likes to come to. <laughs> Haven't reached that point in therapy yet. I'm still working on other traumas. <laughs> well, you got yeah, you got a backlog. Yeah. Well, good luck, Delilah. Be strong. Thank you. I'm sorry you have to go through that. No, but you know what's good news about this, Delilah, is we got a lot of problems on this on this podcast that like a, we're not obviously qualified to solve, but that are very complicated and super difficult to solve. This one is so binary and simple. Get him a computer, change your password, your problem will go away immediately. Perfect. Thanks, guys. Good luck. Okay, bye. I mean, I don't, I don't want to know your search words. I don't want to know my dad's search words. I know your dad's search words. He sends them I, to me. I know what my dad's are. What are they? Busty. No, that's what hers were. Exactly. These, all these guys are like, they're the same. But they, basic. Might as well be basic. <laughs>
Just basic. Give me hot, hot I think, chicks. I think people used to think big butts were like fat asses. They are. No, but like men like big butts now yes, more than they did like changed. 20 years ago. Yes. 20 years ago, if a girl had a fat butt, you'd be like, oh, she's kind of like got a fat butt. No. She's hot, but she's got a if fat you were, butt. If you were white or not from Oakland. You know, I consider myself a white pioneer of liking big butts. And that is truly, honestly, because the beauty standard in Oakland was always uh, big butts. As the great philosopher poet Sir Mix-a-Lot once said... <laughs> L.A. face with an Oakland booty in his song. Um, hold on, hold on. Yeah, you got it? Oh, I like big butts and I cannot lie. Yeah, but wait, I'm blanking on what it's actually called. It's not called I like big butts and I cannot lie. It's called... I like big butts? No, it's called... Wait, this is horrifying. Maybe it is called I like big butts and I cannot lie. No, it's not. Baby got back. <laughs> what is wrong with me? Why did I think it was just called the chorus? <laughs> Ugh, that's terrible. I'm over here flexing. I'm like, oh, you know, it's a guy from Oakland. I'm always like, a, I'm an Oakland dude. You know what I'm saying? I'm an Oakland cat. You know what I mean? Oh, now, what's the name of the biggest hip hop hit of the entire 1990s? It was at every school dance ever. You know, I just, I don't, I got to turn in my street cred card. I, I got to watch the embarrassment of that last interaction with maybe some secrets. Yeah, let's do it. Hey, Natasha. Hey, Moshe. Uh, huge fan of the podcast. Makes me laugh every Monday. Um, here for a secret. Um, so one time I really needed to shave because I had a big interview um, and unfortunately, I was out of, like, the expensive razor blade replacement heads. And so the only one I had left was the one in my shower that I used to trim my curlies. Um, and so I used my pubic hair razor to shave my face. Um, that's it. Uh, finally getting off my chest. Thank you so much. Um, talk to you guys later. Bye. Okay. I hate the term curlies. Yeah, we both do. <laughs> And, you know, it's like if there are little moments in our marriage. I, I want to get back to what you're going to say, but this is important. There are little moments in our marriage, and they usually are around mutual disdain on, about subtle stuff that I'm like, that's why I married that girl. I could feel your energy when he said curlies, and I was like, same energy. And I was like, this is why we're so compatible. Well, you might switch your tone after you hear the next thing I'm about Uh-oh, to say. What you got? I would do that. I didn't know until this secret that there was a difference. <laughs> Gotta be honest. I, it would have never occurred to me that you had one razor for one thing and one razor for the tether. Mm, maybe he's like from a prominent family who didn't do things like that. Yeah, you know what family he's from? Hmm. The Harry's family that send you razors in the mail every month. I get that. I, have, I get Harry's. For your curlies? For my, I get Harry's for my curlies. That's right. <laughs> No, not anymore. You know what I use for my curlies these days? Hmm. Manscaped. <laughs> That's right. Don't say that, though. Yeah, Manscaped. Like, clearly his mom or someone told him that's what you call them. Yeah, I do talk space. And when, I, when I'm done with my talk space session, I go straight to the bathroom and trim my curlies with Manscaped. That's the, the advice. Use our sponsor. Get Manscaped in your life. They're not even paying us for this. But let's hear another secret. Hey guys, um, I have a secret. My brother is the favorite child in my family. And while helping my parents 
declutter and move from the house they had been in for like 20 years, I found testing for my brother and it said he had a really low IQ and I kept it and I look at it whenever I feel sad that my parents don't love me as much as him. All right, bye. <laughs> oh man, I I hate IQ science and people that brag about their IQs. <laughs> like on online and stuff they talk about how they're and mm-hmm. people that are like in Mensa I, I I think it's just despicable junk. You think there's nothing to it? There's certainly something to it. You think it's it. like your astrology? <laughs> no, no. There's there's obviously something to it. It's obviously real on some level, but it's also fake on another level. But anybody that t- would ever talk about how high their IQ is is de facto a fucking idiot. But but I love pettiness and I love a rivalry and I love like I so I was I don't the IQ thing, I was that's that I it was worth it for me. I think this was good. This is a good secret. To have your brother's like 94 IQ that you can snatch a quick look at just to make yourself feel better because your mom and dad like him better. I would love to know if that's like in your head. Not hers, but just in general. That sounds the love very, more? Well, it sounds very painful to grow up in a family where you think that your parents love someone. Like I only have one child and I'm well, probably not going to have another one. So I couldn't imagine having to love someone as much as I love her. My dad unequivocally loved my brother more than me. Or Really? I shouldn't say love more. I think loved more is the wrong term. Some families, that's probably the right term. I think his favorite is obvious. Really? Oh, yeah. And what would they do? He would just be like, oh, come here, son. You sit in right next well, to he me. He would like no. make out with my brother and stuff. And I, he never, never paid that kind of attention to me. Um, no, I... Because sometimes I think like maybe it's in the person's head. Just they just have like, you know... Obvious. Really? But luckily... It, but that's a bad parent that makes that obvious. Or an observant child. I mean, I, I think that parents aren't c- capable of being that, I don't know, uh, of being that subtle about it. It's not like it was overt and in my face, but it's just like I wasn't an idiot and I could see what was happening. I don't know. Like, I don't feel like it's that traumatic. Then again, I'll tell you what was traumatic. My dad once got like a Hanukkah gift or something for my brother and I, and my mom saw it. And decided that my brother's was better. And hey, maybe it was. And she told me, she goes, look, your father loves your brother more than you. What a bastard. It wasn't to hurt me. It was to hurt him. And it was... um, But your mom doesn't act like that anymore. No, everybody was fucked up and sick back then. You want to cut this part out of the (laughs) podcast? I mean, what? I'm trying to get, you know, let the listeners know. I hear you. That's a... I mean, I, I know my mom was similar but I know your mom so well now. I know that she's not, she kind of made peace with that. Well, we've made peace with it together. We've talked about that moment and others very openly over the years and she's apologized for it. And I told her that while I do forgive her, I will talk about it on my podcast. Okay, let me ask you this. I know how much you love your mom. Do you love her more than you love me? Than you? Yeah. Definitely. Uh, oh. 100%. <laughs> I was just going to say. Easy decision. I was going to say... On any day, romantically as well. (laughs) Can't you love two people, but just love them in different ways? Uh, Why do you have to love one person more? Like, Why can't you give of yourself? Well, first of all, the caller didn't say love more, I believe. The caller said... Favorite. Is is the favorite. And I think like... That makes sense. My point is a lot of family dynamics, somebody becomes the favorite. And often one kid is the favorite of one parent, one kid is the favorite of the other. And... it's impossible to miss, really. I don't think it's that big of a deal. What do you guys think? I'm curious what the listeners think. 
Is it bad to have a favorite child? Yeah, I, I'm curious, very curious. You have a favorite dog. Don't you love them all? Mm, I, I kind of only love Cutie. All right, well, that's the one I was talking about. Here she is making her debut. Cutie's paw hair is getting so long you could braid it. This poor thing is just holding on to life by a fucking kibble. All right, should we hear another secret? Maybe one more. Hi, so sorry I'm whispering. Um, I am the same person that called um, because I had a seizure from orgasm too hard with my ex-girlfriend. Um, so I find myself in a similar conundrum now. Um, I have a serious throat infection from sucking dick too, um, too much. And, you know, that's what happened. But, um, yeah, it really, really hurts. And uh, I have a virtual appointment tomorrow at my parents' house. I have to tell this doctor what happened. And I don't know what to do. So that's my secret. Okay. Bye. Thanks. That's not true. Yeah, you know what it is? It's... um. It's uh, that makes me think the last one that I she know. did wasn't true. You know, we we really liked you when you were just a epileptic <laughs> orgasmer, <laughs> but now that you're talking about you got a oral thrush from sucking too much cock, I'm just like, oh, you got you got Munchausen by dick or something. This isn't real. I don't, hopefully, it's Munchausen syndrome. Hopefully, she thinks she has it and isn't just like, hmm, what's a delightful secret. Prove it, lady. Send us your medical records. Wait, Munchausen is that you think you're sick? Yeah, Munchausen syndrome is where you're, um, you make yourself sick by like, you know, you might take a bunch of, of medic- medication or eat a bunch of like poison and be like, oh, I'm sick. And Munchausen by proxy is where you make someone that you love sick so that you get attention. Right. It's all for attention. Oh, it's for attention. But sh- but I mean, I'm curious, is she really sucking a lot of dicks? That I'm very curious about that. Because she said she had a girlfriend. I'm extremely curious about that. And it's COVID. That. So it's like, if you have a girlfriend and you're having all these orgasms with her, it doesn't seem that likely that you would have a bunch of dicks in your mouth during COVID. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news, but a lot of people are not respecting COVID very much. And we're in a bit of a spike right now. Right. And it might be fucking typhoid Mary over there. Old, <laughs> deep, old deep throat Mary. <laughs> COVID <laughs> COVID Mary out here sucking dick for the whole town. All right. Well, we don't get a lot of fake calls, so... Maybe that one wasn't fake. Could you call back and prove it? You clearly listen to the show. All right. Let's hear Let's hear one more. That one wasn't real. Hi, guys. Um, you for sure are going to think that this is a very naive Midwest secret, um, but I just felt like I needed to share it because it is so appropriate for the time. Um When I was in high school, I worked on the yearbook staff, and at the end of the year, they have the senior um, most likely to succeed, you know, those kind of contests. And there was one girl in particular in our school who was, I'd say, on the popular level, and she received all the votes for almost all the categories, and it just was too much for me. I did not think it was fair and it made me annoyed. So I fixed the votes so that somebody else would win most funny because I thought that that would hurt her the most. (laughs) And someone else won most funny and nobody knows that it was because of voter fraud. Um, The most 
wonderful part of the story is that she is now a huge Trump supporter and she is all over Facebook complaining about everything. So anyway, uh, that's my very naive Midwest secret that I'm ashamed of. Okay, goodbye. I love that she she knew that funny would hurt her the most. That that one cuts. That well, that made me like the whole thing because she that was, was like, great. and also, who is this girl? She's the funniest, the most beautiful, the most well read, the most like everything, like most charming, most talented, like. Also, the epilogue on that story was so good that this is a woman that is currently rallying about fake election fraud on Facebook, <laughs> but was a victim of real election fraud, which probably careened her into the path, life path that she's on today, like some sort of Biff Tannen, Back to the Future 2 type of situation. So kudos to you. You may, you may have ruined her life, lady. No. I feel like if I had the power to do something like that when I was young, I would have. I For loved it. sure. That was good. That was a righteous, a righteous choice you made. Because you didn't like ruin anything. You just kind of like tampered a little bit. Did you get most funny? No, there were no elections like that in my school. I got most funny in, oh, a, in middle school. Yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. I definitely got like D's in conduct. That's pretty cool. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Because, like, you know, those are the people who are, like, standing up, trying to be funny, yeah. being obnoxious, interrupting. I got into a physical fight with the drama teacher. Oh, cool. A lot of good stuff happened in my past. I love it. I love it, too. Um, hey, you Mo, can read all about it in my book, Casher in the Rye. I'm glad I read that book. It made me want to marry you. Um, I can't believe that all of our listeners haven't bought the book. Everybody buy the book. Every single person. Also, I'm coming out with a new book, so buy that one too. When but it, it has out. a great cover, so it's nice to like just have around. Yeah, buy it for your family for uh, Christmas or Hanukkah. Or if you know anyone who's going through addiction or uh, maybe a parent who had a kid with addiction, because I think that your mother really, you guys had a long journey together. We did. Yeah, we did. It's yeah. really great because my mom had that kind of that situation with my brother, but it never repaired itself. And yours repaired itself, and that's really special. It is, and I'm very grateful for it. And I think I'm, yeah, and I'm super lucky. A lot of people don't get that kind of luck. Should we take a call? Yeah, let's take a call. It's, oh, Ohio, it's late there. Yeah, let's call Jeez. them. Jeez. All right. We're going to call Hannah in Toledo, Ohio. I feel like I've played there. Also hmm. late. What's in Toledo? The Funny Bone? Mm-hmm. Was it a good time? I feel like it was. You're such a good comedian. I wouldn't doubt it, honey. I just always feel like when I'm in places like... Oh, there she is. Ohio. She- There's no sparkling water or anything. Hello. Hello. Hi, Hannah. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Thank you for staying up late with us. We really appreciate it. It was important. The fact that we're calling you so late was important. There was a championship fight. Uh, between um, Figueredo and um, the number one contender, whose name I'm uh, blanking on, so no one's interested in what Moshe's saying. So we're all know. just kind of practicing, like we care. <laughs> just want you to know that dumb fight. you stayed up late for a very, very important reason. Okay, good you, to know. You live in Ohio. We're trying to jog our memories if we've been there. Is there a funny bone there? Yes, there is. Okay. And did you go see Natasha there when she came through town? No, I didn't. Unreal. Unreal. Okay, Hannah. Well, let's get to your little problem, even though you're not a fan of my wife. (laughs) 
Do you have I was just roasting Ohio anyway because I feel like in, there's certain pockets in the Midwest where you're like, they don't quite know what sparkling water is or maybe they call it something else. <laughs> I would just say that to a well, person who lives in Ohio. Oh, there you go. There you See? go. She's like, you know, show me what's up. Well, do you have company, Hannah? <laughs> I am here with my boyfriend, Ben. Hi, Ben. How you doing? How's it going? That's a straight up uh, violation of HIPAA laws. This is therapy. So you can't just bring. Okay. But anyway, we'll let him stay. Uh, What's happening? Let's uh, let's hear it. Yeah. So I guess I was just calling today because I have been noticing a pattern in my friendships um, throughout the pandemic. So it's been kind of strange. I guess essentially what's been going on um, is that I really took this year to really slow down and focus on myself. Um, Pre-pandemic, you know, I definitely was very social. I was partying a lot. I was going out. Um, And so when initial lockdown happened, I really took advantage of that time to just slow down um, and really just um, put myself and my health first. Um, is there withdrawal from cocaine or is it pretty easy to get off of? It's pretty easy. Okay, great. Yeah. yeah, great. Okay, <laughs> Hannah. <laughs> um, so really what came from this is really is that I just stopped, decided to stop drinking altogether. So anyways, to give a quick timeline, um, during the spring, in the spring, during initial lockdown quarantine, my friend group was continuing to gather and party. Um as I was deciding to not, I wasn't, I mean, it was locked down. As you were no, like I, listening to the law. Yeah. I was like, yeah. Um, so one night I just started to get these text messages from a friend who was essentially um, calling my character into question because I hadn't been around and wasn't there for them enough during this like stressful time. Um, you know, I took this pretty hard, but I ended up just setting some boundaries, um, which then just resulted in a pretty harsh reaction, um, and alienation from that friend group. Um, you are reading, are you reading from an actual timeline? Um, (laughs) I am. So I have a problem in my stories. So I'm trying to just like stay on track. I'm I'm compelled. I'm just, I want to know all the details. You had a man in one corner and now there's notes in another corner. I like what you're doing. Keep going. Yeah. I really, I'm very, I like to stay prepared. Right. Well, that's the cocaine. It got you really organized. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, So fast forward a few months, you know, I'm in my sobriety. I'm dealing with just like the loss of all these friends. Um, And then I was questioned and called out by another friend who is long distance for not being there enough for him. Um, This was something where, you know, we would talk on the phone or we would catch up and, he had just reached out and just mentioned that thinking that I was too self-absorbed in what I had going on and just wasn't holding enough space for him. Um, so then two days ago, I received another text message, um, from another long distance, long distance friend explaining to me, um, after a recent trip visiting with her, I had somehow triggered and crossed boundaries with her. Um, and I also, again, just feel like my character was just being questioned. And I don't know. I'm feeling totally alienated. I'm feeling totally judged. Did the last girl give any, is there any detail just so we can kind of stay with you on this story? Like what, it's all feeling very vague to you. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And I told her that. I said, I don't really, 
I told her I'm just having trouble connecting all the dots here and I can't address anything with like specific generics. So that was that particular situation with this friend. Um, but I just keep going back to what like the biggest factor of change is within all of this. And I believe that it's just my sobriety. And I feel like it's almost like this subconscious factor in my relationship dynamics. That's just like not really being addressed or looked at. So I guess I was just looking just for some guidance on how to move forward with all this. Cause it just seems like everything is just like breaking down and I'm being attacked. And well, first off, first off, I have to say, I think the worst in everyone is coming out. And I think mm. that everybody's worst Great qualities point. are kind of coming out. Like I feel like I'm, I used to be very negative in college and I really got over that. I feel like with a lot of like personal work and I feel it coming back, like just being really negative. And I think that's kind of the, my thing. And maybe some of your people in your friend group all have this certain kind of thing. Like everybody does need a lot of love and attention right now. And I know it's really hard because we're all kind of in survival and we're all trying to take care of ourselves, especially like becoming sober. That means you're so strong. You know, you have strength that a lot of these people don't have. So they're kind of like, you know, maybe for whatever weakness, they're attacking your character, even though your character is like, you're actually making an improvement for yourself and it's taking a lot of your energy. So I just think like having mercy on people and just being a little understanding two of your friends and just, isn't there something that she can say back to people? Like, you know, I don't want you to ever think that you can, you can think of a generic. I don't want you to ever think that about me. Please let me know, you know, if you need to talk, I'm always here for you or whatever you can do that is real that you actually can do to try to stay on top of these friendships and, and nurture them as much as you can in this like weird non-personal zone that we're in. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's great advice, Natasha. And I like, I was sitting here and I was thinking like, okay, so you're sober. Are you like, are you going to 12 step stuff or on Zoom or did you do it by yourself or I'm just no, curious. It was just kind of a self Got decision. It. it happened pretty organically, you sure. know, nothing but dramatic so, happened. But you were, you before, was it just that you were doing it too much or you felt like you kind of were a little bit of a mess? I just felt like I was doing it too much. Um, it was just like a weekend partying, binging that I would do. And it was almost just a vicious cycle that I felt like. Right. Okay. And it ends. So I, I also, you have a partner, you're living with someone, right? Um, we're not living together, but, but um, I'm sure some of your friends don't have anyone. And I think that people who are alone right now too, it's like, there's just so many different levels and then people who don't have kids and then people who do have kids, like mm-hmm. you, people don't understand every, what everyone's dealing with, like right now. Well, that's what I was going to say. I was just asking you to try to get a little bit of more information. Um, just cause like, I'm familiar with this phenomenon and I mean, like my prime, my gut reaction was when you have friends that you party with and then you take yourself out of the partying equation, they're going to feel betrayed and they're going to be on some level correct because you have betrayed the primary uh you know connection point that you have with them especially if you then retreat literally physically into quarantine and they for whatever reason decide not to do that they're going to feel like she left our lifestyle she left our life and they're going to feel betrayed. Now that doesn't their their feelings don't really need to affect the decisions that you make. They're just it's just all information. It's like 
okay, this is what's happening. So when somebody confronts you about not being a good friend, even though it's annoying and isn't necessarily something that you owe them any deference toward, you just have to know where that feeling is coming from. It's like Natasha was saying. Like no one ever said to their friend, you hurt me uh, or you abandoned us uh, for any other reason but that they are feeling hurt and abandoned. Even if it's an unreasonable feeling, that's what they're, That's what's happening for them. That's a reaction that they're having doesn't mean you need to change any behavior of your of yourselves it's just like having compassion from where they're, for where they're coming from is important even though to you it's a pattern to them it's them talking to their friend about something that they aren't getting right? and, and also just really quickly you don't have to fight over the details you know oh, you're totally. like can you give me an example and they're like well you know it's just in general and you're like well that doesn't really help me maybe in, instead just be like well whatever happened I don't want, you know, just like generally just try to sympathize with people. Right. But, but the other thing. It's hard. No. Well, the other thing I was going to say, this is the part where I'm going to push back a tiny bit, Hannah, and I'm, I'm mostly a comedian, but I do have a PhD in psychotherapy, um, is that you, the fact that you're, this is why I was trying to get to why, why you got sober, how you got sober. The fact that you needed to get sober in the pandemic leads me to, and the fact that you've gotten three separate calls about friendship, uh, loyalty issues lets me kind of think that maybe you did have some issues with being uh, the uh, a a show up you know forthright some of those relationships maybe you weren't doing the work that you needed to be doing in order to to have your friends feel like they were respected and loved in the way that that would be nurturing for all of them that doesn't matter because we all make mistakes every and if you get sober it's like this is actually great information this is like actually like a gift. Now you know, okay, I had three people, whether reasonable or unreasonable, tell me that somehow I fell short in our relationship friendship-wise. So now that I'm doing all this introspection and I'm sober and i got a clear brain, I can walk forward in the rest of my relationships, just like Natasha said, have compassion for those people. Those relationships might fade away. They might not. A lot of relationships do when you get sober. I have, can say from personal experience, but some don't. But walking forward, you can say, oh, accountability to my friendships is going to be something that I'm going to want to work on because maybe I've fallen short in that particular area of my life. And walking forward, you can say, here's how I value friendships. This is the way I want to live. This is my new my new way. You know. And also, I will say, I've had a few friends in my life where all of a sudden they'll accuse you of something or whatever it is. You're like, wait, this is not ringing true to me. Totally. And when that starts to happen to me too much, I kind of... I don't want to say I clip those people out, but like I can't really be around that. I don't really, I'm not interested. Like if it's really not making sense, you know, because it's what happens. But then again, it's because it's about them. It's because of what they're going through, what they see in me or what I represent or whatever it is. It has nothing to do with me, even though they're making it, they're weak. So they're making it that it's me. Yeah, I would. When I'm not doing anything, I I I can't have people like that a lot. I would go with you if it wasn't. Four messages in a row to Hannah saying that <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, it's four different people being like, "Well, wait, Hannah, hey, Hannah." I know. Hey, Hannah. I'm just saying, but as you get, you know, more confident in yourself, like as you get older, like sometimes people like that can kind of go to the wayside a I little agree. bit. I agree. Hannah, is any of what they're saying ringing true to you, or are you feeling like persecuted and like this isn't none of this is real? Um, I definitely, I don't know. I think in the beginning when it first started happening, I was like taking a step back, like, okay, what have I done? Where have I fallen short? Where have I not, you know, shown up for my friends in this way? But now that, you know, we're nine, 10 months into this pandemic and I'm still, this is still happening with different friends. I'm also 
you know, I'm starting to think, okay, maybe this might be some sort of projection of what other people are going through onto me in some way. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's certainly possible. I mean, look, one of the most mighty and powerful messages that AA left me with that I still have in my life to this day, even though I'm not really attending AA meetings and haven't for a number of years, is this idea that when I am hurt, my job is to only, my only job is to find the part where I have my responsibility, what my responsibility in, in any resentment, uh, my job is to find my own part in that resentment and not in any way to focus in any way on the wrongdoings of others. That doesn't mean I forgive those wrongdoings. I'm just, I, mean, I can clip, the, just like Natasha said, when people hurt me enough times, I just take them out of my life and they're gone. That It doesn't mean f- forgiving them. It means that the, the internal work for me around resentment and anger and stuff and relationships is to find out where I could have improved. Sometimes that improvement in your situation, if you're feeling like these people are projecting, you might be right. Sometimes the the area that you have fallen short in could be as simple as, wow, look at the people that I've chosen to be friends with over the last 10 years of my life. They all need me to act in a way that, they, that, that, that they've decided I'm supposed to act in order for them to feel okay in this relationship. Moving forward, maybe I'll pick friends that are more self-determined and can take care of themselves better and don't need me to make them feel better. So it's not always like, you fucked up you're the problem here sometimes it's as simple as like oh i get to see this pattern and i can change it in the future and the other thing i was thinking is like when you get sober these strange things start to happen i don't know if i believe in cosmic magic or whatever but these strange things start to happen where the universe will start showing you stuff and probably it's not cosmic or magical at all it's probably that you've stopped anesthetizing yourself from being aware enough to notice these patterns now that you're clear and crisp and sharp and sober you're like oh i bet you anything hannah if you thought about these relationships you would be able to identify moments where this kind of thing maybe not the same thing but this kind of thing happened in your relationships in the past and Mm -hmm. so it's like now you're clear you're clear and crisp and sober and you can make all these new decisions and that's like an exciting that's exciting congratulations that's hard during the pandemic like that's i I want to drink i want to start drinking (laughs) it's definitely been hard but it was needed Uh, what do you think what do you think you want to do with these friends um i know that like that first situation, those friends have kind of fell to the wayside. I've, they kind of shown me who they were, but, um, I think with my other friends, you know, they're long distance, they're long-term friendships. So I definitely want to work on it. Um, but I definitely think that I need to address maybe my codependency issues that I maybe have had with them in the past that, cause that's kind of come up for me too. Um, and just talk through it with them, but I also don't want to push the conversation with them, but I guess just remain open and not be so quick to like go tit for tat, I guess. Yeah. That's what Natasha was saying, right? It's like, you don't have to get into the details. You can just say, how can I, what do you need from me? And let me see if I can do that for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And ask them about themselves. Yeah, that's true. Sometimes that's real. Sometimes you get so into processing, you become like uh, fascinated with your process and you become fascinated with yourself and like, Finding where you can be useful to old friendships is, I think, a a good thing. Well, I hope some of that was helpful. Yeah, it was. Thank you. Good. I'm glad. Was there anything specific? That was pretty general advice. There was no specific advice that you needed. 
I guess, um, well, I was also interested in hearing what you had to say, Moshe, because this is this sobriety journey for me is so new. So I didn't know if you had any other just tidbits of advice moving forward. And do you want to stay sober? Like, is that the idea that people stay sober? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, advice on how to stay sober. That's pretty big. How long has it been? Um, I probably made the decision in July, but I probably had my last drink in June. June. So a few, uh, six months or something. Is that, that's all right. Yeah. I mean, that's the, well, I guess I I don't really have advice on how to stay sober because you're all, you're already sober. I know that, uh, for me drinking and doing drugs when I got sober, one of my fears was, but you seem like a lot more mature than I was when I got sober (laughs) drinking and doing drugs. My primary fear was I, my life is over. And it took me a few months to realize that the reason I thought my life was over because I, when I got sober was because my, my life was drinking and doing drugs. And so, of course, it was over. It was over. And so the, the process of staying sober was about figuring out what my new life was going to look like. And I think that's sort of applicable to your, your first thing, which is like, all your friends, especially your using your drinking friends, feeling betrayed by you, like you did betray them. It was a good betrayal for you, but to them, they're just like you left, you you d- dropped out of the gang and you just went you just went straight all of a sudden. Like, and for you, it's like oh that you said it so so clearly. Oh, those friends have fallen by the wayside. I figured out who they are. Well, that's such good information, and I just feel like with staying sober, like. I mean, the only way I know how to stay knew how to stay sober was to actually go to twelve step meetings, and I don't advise that or not advise that. I think that's a really personal decision, and it's some people don't like it, and some people can't stand it, and some people don't need it. Um, but the thing that it did for me here's my my polemic advice: the thing that it did for me, it sounds like some stuff that you're already doing, is it put me on a path of self discovery because I had to know, and I I was very young when I got sober, but that alcohol was totally not the problem that the problem as they say in the in the program it, uh, drugs weren't the problem it's a, they say it's an inside job the problem was coming from inside there was a reason that i drank and did drugs the way that i did and so the, my primary advice would be get into the really really difficult dark work of uh figuring out why you drank that way in the first place why you're a person that needed to quit that's very hard work but that is that is uh, that is the journey of self-integration, I think. Anyway, I also think you should buy my book and I think you should get my live stand-up album. I think you should see Natasha the next time she rolls through town and maybe come see us on uh, Zoom on New Year's. We're doing a stand-up show. But no, my point is, I was just listening to an old AA talk last night. I know I'm going on, but this is, I'm sorry, this is long-winded. I, alcohol and drugs had this effect on my life of making my life extremely small until all it was was me and, a, and, and drugs and alcohol. And my only advice for staying sober is to make your life get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. That is the journey. And that is the only purpose, reason one wants, should stay sober or be alive is to make your life bigger and better. That was good, Mosh. Thank you. Thank you, Natasha. And thank you, Hannah. Yes, and- thank you, guys. Okay, good luck. All right, happy holidays. And congratulations. Six months sober is a very big deal and a very difficult thing to do. It's hard to pull off and you've done it and you will always have done it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yep. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Is that too long-winded? I'm used to it. <laughs>
Well, it just happens that I've been thinking about this stuff a lot lately because I'm working on this chapter on my book about my years in recovery and in rehab and in 12-step programs. So it's all, a lot of it's on my mind right now. But you gave great advice too. I'm sorry I went on for so long. I just... Well, you know, I think that people who need that kind of advice, it's I've never heard that described like that, like your life gets very small. That seems very negative. That's how you, because it's always hard to know, like, well, why can some people have a drink and some people can't? It's like, well, maybe that's one of the reasons. Your, your life is just becomes about the drink. That's exactly right. I mean, that, or the drugs or whatever. The way is. I used to say it in when I was in the program uh, was that, you know, that alcohol and and AA had the opposite uh, trajectory. That alcohol, you know, the first time I tried it, it like shot my world open. And I just felt like I could see forever. It felt like it just like expanded my universe immediately. And the first time I got high, first time you take acid, all this, so you just bam, it like mm. was like I could see forever. And then very slowly over time on the horizon, I saw that the, it was starting to creep in and fold in and, and on, on itself, like kind of like the nothing, a never ending story. And then it just kept doing that and corroding and getting smaller and smaller until, yeah, like I said, it was just me in a corner me and the and 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 my my problem and recovery. How do you get to the how do you get to the the heights again though? Well, recovery is the opposite. It starts very small. The first time you come you come to the program or get sober, you're, you, it feels very bleak and dark and like you can't see very far in front of you. It's certainly not walk into a meeting and you're like, ah, the universe has expanded. Here it is, the truth. It's like, oh my god, what am I doing here? This is hell. How could I have gotten to this place? It's so dark. But then very slowly over a, an accrual of time or sobriety of working on yourself, you start to see that the horizon expands just a little bit. And, and over time, it will continue to expand and expand and expand until you've got this great life. And the direction is right. You want to be moving bigger, not moving smaller. All right. Well, I have to go to bed. I also have to go to bed. And I was thinking tonight I would go to bed with you what do you think i was actually gonna sleep downstairs okay well you're gonna sleep with the bush <laughs> that sounds cute uh well tosh that's fine i don't need you to sleep with me every night because i'm confident in myself and in my life and in my love for you because i love you i love you too 